sweet. All right, grab your Bible, James chapter 3. We're finishing up our 20 for 20 series today. Uh, so to begin, I want to share with you uh, a story about myself that some of you know, if you're, if you're a City Church OG, if you've been here for a while, some of you know this and have known this for a while. For some of you, this will be new news about your pastor, and it may affect the way that you look at me, and that's okay. Um, when I was in college, and, and when I say college, you can insert Bible in front of college. When I was in Bible college, uh, the summer in between my freshman year and sophomore year, I did something ridiculous. I got my tongue pierced. Uh, and I'm old enough that I lived and did stupid things before social media. Uh, so there are no photos of this out there on the internet. This doesn't exist other than in my memory and the memory of a few select people. Uh, but I promise you it actually happened. Uh, so I, I decided I was going to get my tongue pierced. I had gone through a, a number of things to get to this point. But I knew my parents were going to be disappointed, my mom especially. Uh, I knew my mom was going to be heartbroken. So I was home for the summer uh, living with mom and dad. And even though I was an adult and could make whatever decisions I wanted to, um, I still waited until they went out of town to do it. Uh, because I knew when I did it, it was going to swell up really bad. And I wanted the swelling to be gone before they got home so I could try to hide it from my mom. Uh, so uh, I did it. They went to Washington, D.C. for three days. I took him to the airport and went straight to get my tongue pierced. Uh, and I had researched this. Uh, I knew what I needed to do. Uh, you were supposed to take ibuprofen to keep the swelling down. So I was popping ibuprofen. I'd never taken ibuprofen in my life before this point, but I, I became a friend of ibuprofen. Uh, and, and so I went and got my tongue pierced. And for the first two days, it didn't swell. It was awesome. I, I was feeling good. I was feeling cocky. I was, you know, telling the lie that everybody who gets piercings like that says, oh, it didn't hurt lie, uh, but we say it, uh, and, and so I, I was feeling really good about it, so I stopped taking the ibuprofen. Day three, I woke up, and I kid you not, my tongue was this thick. Uh, they, they give you a longer bar when you first get it pierced to give space for it to swell, and literally the ball on either side, like my, my tongue was pushing against the ball on either end, uh, and so this was day three, the day I was supposed to pick mom and dad up from the airport. Uh, and so if you know me, you know that I'm very quiet and I don't say a lot. Uh, so this wasn't really a problem. Um, so, so I go to pick mom and dad up at the airport and they're like, hey, well, you know, greeting me and telling me about their trip. And they're like, how's everything going for you? And I'm like, it's great, mom and dad. Uh, needless to say, I didn't last very long before they figured out. I just had to come out and tell, oh, by the way, I got my tongue purified gone. Uh, you might not have noticed. Uh, and so my, my mom was crushed. I'm pretty sure she ended in tears that night. And, uh, and my dad, uh, his words of comfort for her were, well, at least he didn't get a tattoo. Uh, and so that, that was my dad's optimism in the whole thing. Uh, it lasted like three months. Uh, in those three months, uh, I swallowed the ball uh, a couple of times, uh, swallowed the bar once. Uh, you can do the math on how that works and where that ends up. Uh, it was uh, quite the experience. By the end of the three months, I was in Bible college, and one of the, the rules in Bible college is we weren't supposed to have any piercings. And so I was at school uh, with my tongue piercing, keeping it hidden from RAs and RDs and stuff, and I was able to keep it hidden. Uh, but finally, conviction hit me, uh, and, and conviction came through the voice of a friend who was like, you know you're not supposed to have that. Like, what are you doing? You're, you're here to become a pastor, and you're going to dishonor and, and rebel and break the rules. And I knew all that, but how do you know sometimes you need to hear it from somebody else? 
Like, you can hear that voice of conviction in your own mind and, and turn a deaf ear to it. But hearing it through a friend, I, I finally relented, and, and I took it out. I didn't swallow it. Uh, and, and, and got rid of it, and, and I've never pierced my tongue since. So why am I telling you all this? We're going to talk about the tongue today. Uh, you might have picked up on that when I told you to turn to the book of James. James is famous for talking about the tongue. The tongue is an amazing gift. An incredible gift. In fact, one of the things that separates us from the animal kingdom most greatly is our ability to use our tongues. There is no creature on earth that has near the ability to communicate with one another that God has blessed us with. Uh, it is one of the things that absolutely sets us apart. Civilization, culture, language, all of those things came because of what God did in designing our tongue. We are made in his image. He spoke creation into existence. He has an incredibly powerful tongue, and he blessed us with an incredible tongue. However, our greatest gifts can often be our greatest weaknesses. You know that? Are you aware of that for yourself? For most of us, we've had some aha moment about some aspect of our nature, something that God has put in us, something God's done for us, that, man, that can be my greatest strength or it can be my greatest weakness. And I believe for all of us, our tongue falls into that category. James chapter 3, the apostle James, the brother of Jesus, and I love James because he is direct. He, he is not afraid to step on toes. He doesn't need to be your friend. Uh, he's going to tell you how it is. Uh, and I think sometimes we need a friend like that. Sometimes we need somebody who, who is bold, who is direct, who is honest. And James is that way with the church. He says this. He says, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Here's what's wild about that statement. James is not writing to the lost. He's not writing to the, to the world. He's writing to the church. So you can do some audience participation this morning. Look at your neighbor and say, your tongue is a deadly poison. Look at your other neighbor and say, your tongue is evil. <laughs> not mine, yours, right? Like, he's not right. This is what we do with messages like this, right? We immediately start thinking about all the people we know that need to hear this. <laughs> so you'll be raising your hand already there, right? I'm already like, oh, I'm sending the podcast to so-and-so. Praise God, send the podcast. But before we get the podcast up, let's, let's bring it to us first, right? Let, 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 let's let the Holy Spirit deal with us in this area rather than just thinking about how so-and-so needs this word, hallelujah. Uh, verse 9, with the tongue we praise, we sang a lot about praise this morning. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. They're created in God's image. We praise him and we destroy them. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. Out of the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same 
pray with me. Father God, we ask this morning for your Holy Spirit to deal with us, to work on us. God, to to deal with roots, with habits, with things we've ignored, with things we've justified, with things we're already aware need to be dealt with and things that we're completely oblivious to. God, we ask that you bring those things to light, God. We thank you for grace. We thank you that you're a God of forgiveness. We thank you that Jesus' blood has already paid the price for all of our sins. But God, you've called us to be holy as you are holy. And so we ask today that this would be a step towards holiness. That today would be a step towards what you have designed us to be and how you've created to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Talking today about the tongue. We're in an amazing season, as Pastor Dwindle has already mentioned, and, and many of us are aware of. I don't want to overstate that point, but, but I'm thrilled with it. I'm, I'm overwhelmed with it. I'm amazed at what God's doing. We literally had uh, a staff meeting via Zoom yesterday to debate. Are we going online only? Are we having two services? Are we having one service? What are we going to do? Like, there's literally churches in DeSoto County in every category. There's churches doing all their services. There's churches doing none of their services. Uh, and so there's no consensus. So we're trying to decide what What's the, the right call? And we ended up landing on sticking with two services because we were concerned if we condensed down to one, we wouldn't fit everybody. We didn't know if that would be the case. Uh, man, there was always the possibility nobody's going to show up and it's going to be the six of us worshiping together. Uh, but, but you guys have just continued to exceed expectations uh, literally every step of the way. And so we made the call, all right, we, we checked in with our, our volunteers, with our staff, our, our people who were serving to make sure we had enough. Uh, to make it happen, but we had enough who felt confident and comfortable to get out. And so massive shout out to everybody serving at City Church today. We literally could not do this without you. We are so grateful for each and every one of you. Um, We're in a series called 20 for 20, and today is our our last part of this series. Next week, we're going to kick off a brand new series as we celebrate our 20th anniversary. By the way, 20th anniversary is is here next week. It's actually this Thursday, but we're celebrating it next Sunday as a church. And we're going to have treats as we break the fast. Uh, We're going to have a little gift for you. We're going to have some really cool stuff. We're going to have a testimony video for you. um, Over the next five weeks, we're going to have different videos sharing some of this stuff. We've been talking about all this amazing stuff that God's doing. We're going to share with you some of it uh, and, and let some people share what, what God's done in their life through our church and how our church has made an impact in their life. I cannot wait for the next five weeks. I've been looking forward to this for a long time. Uh, as we conclude 20 years this week and launch into the next 20 years, as I, as I stand back, I haven't been here for the whole 20. I've been here a little over 18 and a half. Um, and in the 18 and a half that I've been here, I, I've never been more excited about City Church. I've never been more amazed at what God's been up to, and he's done some amazing, amazing things, some incredible things down through our history. I had a different plan for what I was going to talk about today. I was, I was going to talk about giving, uh, and, and we were going we to set a, a goal to raise $20,000 for something, and that'll come later on. That's still coming. Uh, but, but I felt this week just a, a warning that if God's doing such great things and God's got such an awesome plan for what he wants to do, there's going to be resistance. The enemy's going to have a plan to derail that. And I don't know what that plan is. I didn't get a word from God. Uh, but I just felt a warning that we got to make sure that this is not what derails our church. Uh, that so often the enemy has, has destroyed churches. And, and even more than destroyed churches, he's destroyed people because of the power of the tongue. 
specifically the tongue when it comes to this thing called gossip. Today we're going to talk about gossip. I don't think most of us get fired up to hear a message about gossip. I don't know that this is the one that we say, hey, we're going to be teaching on gossip, and we give out invite cards, and you're going to tell all your friends, hey, pastor's got a word from God about gossip. Praise God, you got to hear this. But I do believe this is perhaps one of the most relevant topics we could ever discuss because every one of us in this room has been on both sides of this. Every one of us in this room has been victimized by gossip. You've had somebody talk about you. Uh, if you've been part of the church for very long, you've had somebody in the church talk about you. Uh, it's just reality. Every one of us in this room, sadly, has probably participated in gossip, either as the tongue or as the ear. Um, but we've all participated in this. And so I believe this will relate to every single person in this room. Oftentimes we stereotype this as a female issue, but time and time again in scripture, it deals with gossip and it does not segregate. The, the word of God does not say, hey, make sure that the, the women know not to do this. It says the church needs to know this. Uh, and so I think men and women gossip differently, but I don't think that means men don't gossip. Uh, gossip is such an issue in our culture that it's an industry. We have gossip magazines. We have celebrity gossip, and that's not really my thing. I'm not really into all following the celebrities and who's with who and who divorced who and who's on their 17th marriage. Like, that's not really something I care about. Uh, but for me, it's sports, and sports is just as bad. We don't call it sports gossip, but there's rumors of this coach is thinking this, and this person's going over here, and so-and-so said this. And, and so men and women, we do it differently, but it doesn't mean we don't do it. Uh, and the Word of God is very clear how toxic and destructive this is. The book of Song of Solomon, or the NIV calls it Song of Songs, in verse, chapter 2, verse 15 says this. It says, catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, our vineyards that are in bloom. Now, in context, that's a marriage verse, uh, and it's, it's the little things that destroy marriages, not the big things that destroy marriages. You got to watch out for those little things that, that sneak in under the fence. But I think gossip is one of those things that we treat as a little thing. We talk about, talk about sins. Let's just be honest. All of us as Christians, we, we have a ranking in our mind of sins, right? We got big sins over here. Those are things I, I would never do that. How could dare anybody? I, can't, I couldn't even understand how somebody would do that. Uh, then we got kind of those medium sins. That, well, those things tempt me, and maybe sometimes I struggle with them, but I don't really do it often. And then we got the little sins that, oh, that's not really a big deal. And we put gossip over here in the little sins, but I don't think God does. Uh, in fact, we know that God doesn't even order sin, that, that all sin destroys relationship with God. All sin caused Jesus to have to die. But if God did have a ranking of sin, I don't think gossip would be at the bottom. I think it would be at the top. Let me expound. Did you know that gossip existed before hell? Gossip existed before hell. What do you mean, Pastor Troy? Well, if we go back into heaven, back to the original sin. What was the original sin? The original sin was pride, right? Lucifer wanted to overthrow God, uh, and he decided he was, he was as good as God or better than God, and he wanted God's place. So he decided to overthrow God. So the original sin was pride, but the second sin was gossip. Because Lucifer didn't just decide he needed God's place. He had to go start talking to everybody else. Who does God think he is? He, think, he thinks he can control all of us. 
He thinks he's in charge. Who does he think he is? He started gossiping. Now, we don't think of it that way. We don't call it gossip, but that's what he did. He rallied up one-third of the angels. He turned one-third of God's creations against him to try to overthrow him. The first sin was pride, but the second was gossip. Hell didn't even exist yet. Why was hell created? Hell was created as a place to punish Satan and his minions for the sin of rebellion, which came through the sin of gossip. Go to the Garden of Eden. It's the first sin. We got a, a little serpent, a little snake, a little forked tongue who comes and what's he do? He starts gossiping about God to Eve. Did God really say that? Because who does he think he is? How does he think he can tell you what fruit you can have? You're your own person. You do you, girl. Live your truth. Man, that's the new Troy translation, but it's pretty much what he said. Okay, it's the NTT. Uh, what's he doing? He's gossiping. And it worked. Why do you and I have a sin nature today? Because of the power of gossip. I believe gossip is much higher on the list of things that God hates than most of us do. Why do we justify it? Because we do. Why do we justify it? Because of guilt. Because we enjoy it. Can't be that big of a deal if, if I'm a part of it, if I'm a good person. What is that? That's the lie of the enemy. Why? Because he knows how destructive it is. And he hates you. And he hates the people around you. Why? Because they're made in God's image. And he knows gossip will destroy that as quickly as anything. And so we've got to raise our gossip radar. We've got to raise our offense level at gossip, not just the gossip around us where we puff ourselves up and think we're better than everybody else. I'm talking about the gossip in us. I'm talking about the gossip that we participate in. We've got to make sure that we understand how serious gossip is. Now, now I want to be very clear as we get into this. This is not a reactionary message. This is not a, hey, this is an issue going on in the church right now, and this just happened, and we got to deal with this, and we got to get that root out. Now, sometimes I, pastors have to do that. Sometimes we have to teach those kind of messages because there are issues, and we got to address them. Thank God this is not the case. In fact, multiple times I've had somebody come to me, and they've got a friend, a loved one, somebody they want to bring to church, and they're like, hey, I, I, I've got this person. They're really interested in coming to church, but, but they're nervous that if they come that people are going to talk about them. Um, I've had this brought to me multiple times with teen moms. She's 16 and she's got a kid, and she's felt rejected and, and hated by Christians. What will happen if she comes here? And I promise you, every time I've been able to look that person in the eye and say, bring them. This church will not judge them. This church will not shame them. This church will not talk about them. They need to be in church. Man, we, we're called to rally around people who, who are vulnerable, people who are in bad situations, in bad positions. Uh, and, and thankfully, I believe we have that church. I don't believe we have the church that's looking around for, for every little thing that we can judge and put people down about. Thank God that's not city church. So I don't teach this this morning from a perspective of we got to get this fixed. We got to get rid of this, that we've got a problem here. I teach this this morning from a perspective of, of gratitude, that this is not a rampant issue in city church, but that doesn't mean it doesn't happen. Doesn't mean that we're invulnerable to this or we've conquered this just because we've had some victory in this area doesn't mean we'll always have victory in this area if we don't keep our radar up. 
Uh, and so we've got to, got to, got to keep our radar up for this. We've got to be careful. Um, let me ask you this, and I'm going somewhere with this, just to, to puff up the church. How many of you would say that this church has made a difference in my life? Show of hands. Look around real quick as the hands are up. All these people who didn't shower all week, got you keeping your hands up. <laughs> Hallelujah. All right, you can put your hands down. Uh, <laughs> gotcha. Uh, no. I hope you saw how many hands went up. Isn't that worth protecting? It's worth celebrating. Praise God for what he's done. It's not to the city church's glory, but to Jesus' glory. But it's also worth protecting. And the greatest, simplest, fastest way for that to be destroyed, for that to be defrauded, for that to be cheated, is for us to start talking about each other. It's for us to start speaking down on one another, for us to start embracing the division that the enemy wants us to have. Now, that is massively worth protecting, but I believe it's just a taste of what God wants to do in our church. I believe we're just getting started. I believe the first 20 have been amazing, but the next 20 are going to be greater if we live up to God's plan and purpose and call. And so if what he's already done is worth protecting, how much more is what he wants to do worth protecting? And that means we got to keep our guard up. That means we've got to be proactive. We've got to be bold. We've got to be courageous. This, this applies to you this morning, to, to your family, to your workplace, to, to your school, to all those perspectives. But, but I want to look at it today through the perspective of the church. Um, I, I can remember being 13, 14 years old uh, on a camping trip with, with people from our church, with about three other families. And, and sitting at a picnic table playing cards while all the adults at the table are running their mouths about church leadership. My Sunday school teacher, my mother, other men and women that I looked up to, talking down about our church. This, this was the family that I grew up in. I grew up in a family of church hoppers. We'd go to a church for two, three, four years, plug in, serve, dive in, and then something would happen or somebody would make a mistake. And sometimes those were legitimate and sometimes they weren't, but it would always end the same way. It would end with a group that started talking about what was going on. And eventually we would leave and we'd start all over and we'd do it all over again. And I went to six, seven, eight churches as a kid growing up. Not like I attended, like visited, like I, we were members. We were involved at, at at least six churches that I can remember and probably more. Because the same pattern would repeat itself. So what happens? I grow up, I get called into ministry. In fact, about a year after that, a year and a half after that, I received my call into ministry and, and yield to it. I go to Bible college. And I get to Bible college, and what do I do? Start talking about my professors. Start talking about how all these guys don't know the word of God as well as I do. I'm 18 years old. I got this figured out. They're wrong. Uh, go to an internship in Oklahoma. Serve at an amazing church under an amazing pastor. But what do I do? I start finding the little things that I disagree with that he teaches. And have little conversations with this group and with that group. And uh, Pastor George, he's wrong about and, and, and sometimes those conversations are okay when we're seeking clarity. Like, what does the Bible really say? Because we should dig in and find what the Bible is saying. But the heart of it was not that. Uh, the heart of it was I know and he doesn't. It was what it was connected, pride and gossip, right? First sin is pride. The second sin is gossip. The two go very, very closely together. What do they ultimately do? Well, pride and gossip both take my eyes off of Jesus and put it somewhere else. Pride puts the eyes on me. Gossip puts the eyes on you. Satan's happy with either one. 
Because both of them take their eyes off where they belong. Why does gossip derail churches? Because gossip takes churches' eyes off of Jesus and on one another. We miss the mission. We miss the vision. We miss the goal, the mission. There's lost people out there. There's people who are broken. There's people who need Jesus. Well, we lose sight of that because can you believe that so-and-so wore to church? Can you believe that they, they said that? How dare you say that about me? Right? And, and we are so vulnerable to it. So here's the declaration. I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. And if you're not taking notes, we're going to gossip about you. Um, <laughs> We will not be a church of gossip. We will not. We got a sign in the lobby, a, a core value of our church that you are free to struggle here and you are free to struggle with just about anything and we will help you and come alongside you and work with you, but this is one you're not free to struggle with. Because you're free to struggle with stuff that destroys you, you're not free to struggle with stuff that destroys others. And gossip destroys others. If it destroys you, there's grace, and we're going to come alongside and believe God for healing, believe God for freedom, believe God for you to embrace the process and get from where you are to where he wants to be. That's the struggle, right? It doesn't happen always instantaneously. Most of the time, it's a process, and so you're free to struggle. What you're not free to do is destroy other people along the way because God loves those people. And we are called to love those people. As a pastor, I'm called to be a shepherd. A shepherd's job is to protect the sheep. And so you can't be free to gossip here. In fact, look at what the book of Titus says. Titus chapter 3 puts it this way. It says, warn a divisive person once. What's a divisive person? It's a gossip. Warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. This is the grace of God in the church. This is how serious God is about gossip. It says you give them a warning once. You correct it twice, but if they're not willing to fix it after that, you're done with them. Why? Because God hates that person? No. Because he knows how destructive it will be, how dangerous it is, how awful it will be. He says, you may be sure that such people are warped and sinful. They are self-condemned. Go back very quickly to, to our passage from James. Uh, in James chapter 3, it says this. I want to make sure we see it in, in verse uh, eight, I believe it is, sorry. Uh, yes. No human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. How many of you ever had food poisoning? Most of us, right? Okay, we've had food poisoning. What happens when you get food poisoning? You end up in front of a, a bucket, a trash can, a toilet. Why? Because your body violently recognizes that that poison has to get out, and it's got to get out now. What is gossip? It is deadly poison. This is how serious it is. What do we do with deadly poison? We got to get it out now. Deadly poison, we don't wait until next week. We don't put off till next year. We're not, well, hey, man, I've got some other stuff I'm working on right now, and we'll get around to that later on. Deadly poison, it's an immediate response, an immediate reaction. Either it gets out or it destroys. There's no other option. 
And so your body understands this innately and God's perfect design for your body that when there's poison in you, we got to do some ugly, nasty, messy stuff to get this out. It might hurt. It might stink. It might not be pretty, but we're going to deal with this and we're going to deal with it now before it destroys. Gossip is deadly, deadly poison. We warn a divisive person once and after that, The Bible says, have nothing to do with them. That seems harsh. That seems difficult, but it is the truth. Gossip, I believe, is the opposite of the fruit of the Spirit. Look with me very quickly at Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5 says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If you look at gossip, it's the opposite of all these things. Gossip is the opposite of love. It's the opposite of joy. It's the opposite of peace. You ever been in a church full of gossip? Is that a peaceful place? Is that a safe place? No, it's a place where everybody's on edge. Everybody's worried. Because you know if they're talking about everybody else, they're probably talking about you too. It's not patient. Gossip says, I've got to talk about this now. Not I'm going to wait for you to deal with this. I'm going to trust God that it's going to get fixed. Gossip says, i got to talk about it. It's not kind. It's not good. It's not faithful. There's no self-control in it. It's not gentle. Gossip is the opposite of all those things. One dictionary defines gossip this way. as secret slandering, magical murmuring of a charmer of snakes. What was the, the snake in the garden? Fork tongue? Gossip. Speech injurious to another person's good name. It's to speak against, to speak evil of. It's the opposite of the fruit of the Spirit. I believe it's the opposite of Jesus. Gossip is actually the opposite of Jesus. Let me show you. Why I believe that. In the book of John, chapter 18, verse 20, it says this. It says, I have spoken openly to the world. Jesus is talking. He says, I always taught in synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. Gossip literally is from the, the same root word as whisper. It's secret, right? It, it's me and this little group over here. We're going to talk about this. We're going to keep this. This is for us, and it never stays in that little group, right? Because it always spreads to other little groups. I got my little group, and then I've got a couple other little groups I'm in, so I'm going to talk about it with them, and the other people in my group, they got their other little groups, and, and it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Not only is gossip the opposite of the fruit of the Spirit, opposite of Jesus, it's the opposite of God's plan for the world. Gossip is the opposite of God's plan for the world. Look at Mark chapter 4, verse 22. It says, for whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. Gossip happens in dark corners, in secret places. It's, man, I don't think anybody else is going to know that I said this. It's not the kingdom. It's not God's plan. It's not God's vision. Why is it so destructive? Because gossip distorts the image of God in one another. Instead of seeing Jesus in somebody, it causes me to see the failure in them. Causing me to see the sin in them. Now, don't get me wrong. We've all got sin in us. But God, when he looks at me, he chooses not to see my sin. He chooses to see my Jesus. When he looks at me, he chooses not to see my failure. He chooses to see the Holy Spirit. And if we're going to be like him, that means we got to start giving each other the benefit of the doubt. 
It means we got to start looking beyond the surface, looking beyond the struggle, looking beyond the failure and seeing there's something in there that God placed in there of value. They're made in his image. They're saved according to his purpose. doesn't mean we never confront things. doesn't mean there's never a time to have difficult conversations. This is a difficult conversation. What it does mean is there's a right way and a wrong way to do it. And the right way is always to go to the person that has offended us, the person who has the issue, not to go to everybody else. Real quick, I want want to give you two little sets of notes. We're going to buzz through these very quickly. But I want to give you three different types of gossip as as we move forward. Three little little types of gossip. The first one, uh, and these are all going to be in quotes because these are how we see them. But the first is justifiable gossip. First is justifiable gossip. You just got to understand what happened here. I just need you to understand what I'm going through. Is there a time and a place to have a conversation about what's happened to you? Absolutely. But the time and the place to have that conversation is with somebody else whose relationship with that other person isn't going to be affected. It's with somebody that doesn't know them. Sometimes, sometimes man, there's stuff that goes on, and I got to call somebody from out of state. Just to make sure they got, they got no understanding, they got no connection, no relationship. I got to talk to somebody. I need some wisdom. How do I handle this? How do I deal with this? Well, I'm going to call somebody from out of state. Some of you are like, okay, I don't know a bunch of people from out of state. But you, you know somebody that doesn't know that person. Um, don't, we're not going to engage in justifiable gossip or try to justify it. The second is what we would call innocent gossip. Innocent gossip is the one that probably happens most often in churches or it's where it starts. This is when we're skilled at making gossip seem harmless or even beneficial. This is the prayer request, right? I'm, I'm doing him a favor. Man, you really need to pray for so-and-so's marriage because I heard that he cheated on her, uh, right? Uh, yeah, honest. She said, I've done it. Most of us have in some way or another. Man, we, we, would really, I, we need, really need to be reaching out to so-and-so. They're just going through a lot right now. Did you hear what happened? Um, we distort the true intended purpose of our words, our prayers, our curiosity, turning innocence into vindictiveness or cynicism. This is when you're, you're the secret agent. I'm, I'm really concerned about Brother Bob. Did you hear? He, he, went, he went to the casino. Uh, what? T- tell me more exactly. If you're truly concerned about somebody, pray for them. Talk to God about it. This ties to what, what we call the... The Jezebel spirit, this Jezebel spirit is, is I'm just asking questions. What do you think about that decision that they made about Kiss City? Right? Is there, is there a time to ask a legitimate question? Yes, but this is when it's not really a legitimate question. It's a pointed question. When you're looking for the negative answer or you already have, you want them to ask you so you can share. Well, now they ask me, so I'm going to tell you what I think. Right? Watch out for the sway of they. The sway of they is, is when... The majority feels this way. A group of people feel this way. And usually it's not really the majority. It's just everybody thinks that was a terrible thing that the church just did. Man, everybody thinks we just blew it. And everybody's like four people, uh, right? Like it just feels like because you've heard more than one person say it. It's the sway of they. What's the sway of they? Moses sent out 12 spies. Two spies came back with a good report. So we can take the land. God promises to us. Let's go get it. Ten came back with a bad report. Ten people had a bad report. Four million people missed their destiny. Off of the opinion of 10, 40 years of squandered destiny because a group of people listened to 10 people's bad opinion, 10 people's lack of faith, 10 people's doubt. 
That's the sway of they. That's why we have to be so careful about our conversations. Understand this. God is always the majority. He's always the majority. I don't care if literally everybody in the church does feel a certain way. If God feels different, our opinion doesn't matter. We're going to stand on the word of God. We're going to do what God says, not what everybody else says. It's always going to be the majority. i got to move forward. Got a lot more to say about that, but we'll skip forward. Third is what we call situational gossip. Situational gossip is when you only gossip in certain locations, certain situations around certain people. It's when you know what you are saying really shouldn't be said, so you're very careful about where it's said and who it's said to. You find your own little terrorist cell. They feel the same way that I do. Here's what we call it. Here's how we justify it. We call it venting. I just need to vent. You know, there's a whole book of venting. It's called Psalms. And you know who it was vented to? Vertical venting. Venting starts with a V. It's not horizontal. We don't vent to people. We vent to God. If sometimes you need somebody to vent to, I'll give you a couple safe people you can vent to. You can vent to your spouse. The two have become one, and so it's not gossip if you're talking to your spouse. Now, you still need to be careful when you're, you're, you have those conversations about how you're affecting one another's perceptions, but I think it's okay to talk to your spouse about things and really work through things together. I think you're, you're absolutely right to do that. And the, another time, like I said, is when you talk to somebody who's not involved in the situation, somebody who doesn't have an opinion to that other person because they don't know them. You can talk to them. But the best place to vent is vertical. It's to talk to God. is to get that out. And you can be honest and raw. You don't have to hold anything back. You can go before the Lord, or you can take it to the person you're upset with. Those are the biblical ways for us to vent. The reality in all three of these situations is that hurting people hurt people. Hurting people hurt people. And so we got to deal with our own hurts. We got to deal, we got to heal. We got to bring that stuff out into the light. God, I'm hurt. God, I'm upset. God, can you help? Can you speak to this? Can you heal it? Um, I grew up, I was a big fan of Jeff Foxworthy growing up. I don't know how many that might date me a little bit, but uh, he, he had a whole series of jokes. You might be a redneck if. Well, he, let me give you a couple. You might be a gossip if. Uh, you might be a gossip if you feel the need to whisper even when you want everyone in the room to hear what you're saying. If you're in a group of people, there's 12 people around, and you're like, oh, by the way, did you hear about something? You know what that is? That's your subconscious indicating you shouldn't be saying this. When you default to whispering, even though there's nobody around, you don't want to hear it, that's a great sign what you're saying doesn't need to be said. Get on some toes. You might be a gossip if the person that you're telling the problem or complaint to has no power to address it. You're talking to somebody about somebody else, and that's somebody, man, can you believe what Pastor Dwindle is doing with IPLC? Why are they doing it this way? And, you, and they're like, well, I, I'm not in leadership in IPLC. I don't have any influence on the Spanish service. Go talk to the one who does. Have a conversation with them. They're the one who has the power to change it or the power to address it. So we're going to be a zero-tolerance zone for gossip, and super fast, i got five minutes. I want to give you four very quick keys for us to be that zero-tolerance zone for gossip. Number one, we need to treat gossip as life-threatening. We need to treat gossip as life-threatening. The tongue is a deadly evil full of deadly poison. It's life-threatening. Tongue has the power of life and death. It's life-threatening. We treat it as not a big deal. We treat it as something everybody does. It's just something that, that just happens. It's natural. I, I just like to talk. The Bible doesn't give us that right. Leviticus 19.16 says this. It says, do not go about spreading slander among your people. What's slander? It's gossip. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. 
The word of God goes from gossip to life-threatening in the same verse. I don't think that's coincidental. We think one of them is nothing and the other is everything, but God says this one's just as harmful. It's just as destructive. Watch out for it. We've got to treat gossip as life-threatening. We've got to quit looking at it as just a little baby sin, as just a little thing that we just kind of wink at, that it's not a big deal. Secondly, we've got to replace jealousy with rejoicing for others. Instead of being jealous when somebody else gets that promotion, instead of being upset when somebody else gets that opportunity, gets that, that moment of spotlight or sunshine, man, we're going to rejoice with them. We rejoice with those who rejoice. We mourn with those who mourn. This morning, 6.15, I'm up praying and getting ready for my message, and I get a text message from Miss Teresa. I know today's the anniversary of your mom's death. Just want you to know I'm mourning with you today, Pastor. Thank you so much. I was blown away that you knew the anniversary. before. I literally hadn't even had a cognitive thought about it yet. We talked about it yesterday. I knew it was coming, but I, my mind had not gone there yet. My mind was on City Church this morning. And somebody's praying for me. Somebody's thinking about me. I said, I mourn with you. She said, I rejoice with you. That's the vision of who God's called us to be. That's a, that's a Christian. That's a friend. Set aside the church. That's just friendship. Thank you, Teresa. It meant so much to me. That she was thinking about me at 6.15 in the morning. I ain't thinking about nobody else at 6.15 in the morning. I'm thinking about myself and I'm thinking about the bed and why I'm not in it. She was thinking about me. 1 Corinthians 12.26 says this, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. But if one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. We got to get out of competitive Christianity. We got to get out of comparative Christianity. Where somebody else exceeds, that means that, that, that I missed out on something. That means that I didn't get something because somebody else did. No, man, we rejoice together. We celebrate together. Number three, live life as if there's no secrets. How do we get to a, toler- a zero tolerance policy for gossip? We just live like there's no secrets. Romans 8, or 6.18 in the message says it this way. It says, but thank God you're listening to a new master. One whose commands set you free to live openly in his freedom. There's a new master. There's a new kingdom. My, my, I was going to say three-year-old. He's not three anymore. My four-year-old, Noah, uh, he, he likes to wear my hats. And, and when he puts on my hat, he'll go, look at the new daddy. <laughs> I don't know why he determined that my hat equals my fatherhood. Uh, but every time he, put, he will snag my hat and throw it on, look at the new daddy. And then I, like, steal his seat, and I'll be like, look at the new Noah. And he's like, no, I still got the hat. Uh, We got a new master. We got a new daddy. We don't serve the enemy anymore. We don't listen to that forked tongue. We don't fall to that pride and that gossip because we've been given a new master. Number four, key to zero tolerance for gossip, be bold and proactive. Be bold and proactive. What? Do I mean by that? Let me illustrate it for you this way. We're going to be bold. We're going to be proactive. Proverbs 10.10 10 in the New Living says this. People who wink at wrong cause trouble, but a bold reproof promotes peace. If we wink at wrong, what is, what is our, how do we treat gossip? We wink at it. 
But a bold reproof promotes peace. What does God want for our church? He wants peace. Why? Not so we can maintain what we have, so we can reach the people who need Jesus. So we can grow, not for numerical growth, not to say, hey, there's more people under the same roof. Not for, not for us to say, man, City Church is blessed and City Church is growing. Because God loves people who are lost, who are last, who are least, who are lonely. And he's called us to go get them. And if we turn around and focus on each other, if we turn around and focus on tearing one another down, what happens when they walk in here? It's not a safe place anymore. It's not a place that looks like Jesus anymore. It's not a place that feels like Jesus. In fact, we may even misrepresent to them what Jesus looks like. Because we wear his name. It says a bold reproof promotes peace. What do you mean by that? I mean, next time somebody comes to you to, to gossip, don't even give them an ear. We've talked a lot about the tongue, but the ear is a part of this too. Some of us, we, we believe the lie that I'm just a good listener. Man, I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm a safe place for people to talk about what's going on. And we can be that, but that can also be a very dangerous thing. If you find a whole lot of people coming to you with their gossip, it's probably an indication there's something that you need to fix, not just something they need to fix. So what do we do? We say this, just boldly, confidently say, we don't do that here. We don't do that here. You want to get real bold? Tell them you're not the barf bucket. I'm not your puke potty. Right? whichever alliteration you want, like, I'm not going to be that. And you want to be real, real bold? I'll tell you what you do. Next time somebody comes to you gossiping about somebody, just say, hey, walk with me. And take them to that person and say, this is the person you need to talk to about it. You know what will happen? They will never gossip to you again. <laughs> Problem solved. It will never again happen. But what are they going to think about me, Pastor? They're going to go talk about you. Okay, okay. Understand that. But maybe, just maybe, they're going to get some conviction. Maybe, just maybe, God's going to use you to solve that problem, to cure that cancer, to deal with that poison, because the enemy wants to destroy people. And he wants to do it through this and through these. And we got to stop letting it happen, because God loves people. And we're called to love people, and that means we don't gossip here. Amen? Amen.